I just want to pause this episode for a second to tell you about something super exciting that I'm hosting on the 22nd of May and it's absolutely free. It's my brand new imposter syndrome breakthrough masterclass. I cannot wait because in this one hour masterclass, I'm going to show you how you can make the ultimate shift from struggling to execute with confidence and feeling not good enough and confused as to how you can make changes to exploding your personal confidence in your leadership role and eliminating imposter syndrome for good so you can make the impact you want to make while maintaining balance and having a lot more fun too. Trust me, this is going to be so worth an hour of your time. Head over to lucygarnan.com forward slash masterclass right now to save your seat. Welcome to the Powerhouse Revolution podcast. I'm Lucy Garnan, ex-corporate leader turned CEO of my dream business, helping corporate female leaders just like you to create your dream career and life. At 40, I quit the corporate world as I was tired of doing a job that no longer lit me up and wanted to live my life my way. I created the Powerhouse Revolution podcast to give you simple, actionable tips and strategies to help you create the perfect career and lifestyle that you and your family deserve. So if you're a corporate female leader or manager who is ready to step into her superpowers and live the life you were born to live, you are definitely in the right place because life is way too short to dread Mondays. Okay, let's jump in to today's episode. Okay, so today on the podcast, I have Stephanie Good, who is the People and Culture Director at PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I wanted to have Stephanie on the podcast today to talk all about diversity and inclusion because when I was on LinkedIn Stephanie posts lots of regular tips on diversity and inclusion on her LinkedIn and some of the tips are just so super simple um, but super effective which is why I wanted to have Stephanie on the show today. So Stephanie you're very welcome how are you? I'm great thanks for having me Lucy I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah me too me too. So look let's just dive straight into it then tell me a little bit I suppose about introduce yourself who you are and how you got into the whole area of DNI. Great well luckily you've covered all the professional bit Lucy so I can start straight into the personal side of it because I suppose like a lot of DNI practitioners you know I came to the, the topic through my own kind of lived experience Um, so I was brought up by a mother who was a very strong feminist, which was great and really kind of gave me that perspective from a very early age that identity can kind of impact how you, the ease with which you travel through the world, right? So like definitely raised to understand that as a woman, things would be a little bit more difficult for me and I'd have to work quite hard. Um, and that really comes across in my DNI work. I'm really passionate about helping other women, helping them to succeed and giving them opportunities where I can. Um, I was really lucky, I think, in my early experience that I've had quite a lot of exposure to diversity from an early age. I think that really helps you if you're trying to become more inclusive because it gives you kind of comfort around being around difference. And that's kind of the essence of what diversity is. It's being, you know, it's the differences that we all have. Um, I grew up um, in Cork, which I have to mention as a Cork woman, I think. Um, <laughs> and you're wearing your red today and everything. <laughs> I am, absolutely. Although I hadn't made that connection just until you said it. But um, 
grew up in Cork. I, I went to multi-denominational schools all the way through my education. And I think that was really helpful because from an early age, I was around people who were different. So I kind of recognized straight away that, you know, my experience of the world is different from other people's. And I also had the chance, you know, early on to live in different countries. So I lived in the US for a while, lived in Australia um, and lived primarily in, in Ireland as well. And I think that experience kind of gave me even more exposure to difference. So being in kind of countries where like it was just much more racially and ethnically diverse than Cork in the 1980s and 90s. Mm. Um, and that, you know, reinforced for me, people have different experiences and also gave me the experience of being a migrant, which at times was a little bit diff difficult. Um, and then the kind of the last thing I think which really helped me understand about inclusion. So to that point, I had quite a lot of diversity experience um, was when I was 11. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, um, which is a chronic illness. And many of your listeners probably know somebody with diabetes. Um, but that gave me that experience of, you know, every day being a little bit different from the people around me. Mm. And that, you know, my day to day experience, because it takes quite a lot of management to kind of manage the condition, you know, just having that experience of being different from people around me and having fairly good schools who made accommodations and adjustments so that I could manage my diabetes at school. But then in my early 20s, I had an experience that kind of opened my, opened my eyes, Lucy, of like, actually discrimination is a real thing and it happens to people all the time because I was in my early 20s. I was looking for my first job. Um, I was very enthusiastic and I went for an interview for a grad job with a financial services company. And the interview went pretty well. I was sitting there thinking, I think they might offer me this job. And at the end of the interview, the kind of standard question came up, do you have any questions for us? Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't have any questions, but I took the opportunity to be quite open. And I said to them, look, I wanna be open with you. I have diabetes. It would mean if I was successful that I need some small adjustments at work. You know, I need to have a bottle of Coke on my desk and maybe need to take a little break here and there. And the interviewer who asked me the question was very open in response and said, we don't want anyone with problems here. So that's a direct quote. <laughs> um, and like I share that story and I, I've shared it before because I think it's an important reminder for us all that, you know, discrimination can happen to anybody mm -hmm. and it can be as kind of open as that. Um, and it had quite a big impact on me. And I, and I shared this as well to give people an understanding of like the, the long-term impacts it can have on people when they're not included. Um, because I went away from that interview, I obviously didn't get the job, but I went away thinking, you know, I didn't realize until this moment that my diabetes was a liability. I need to hide this now. And for the next five plus years at work, I hid it and it had quite a bad impact on my health. Mm. And, um, you know, I think we sometimes think of diversity and inclusion as this nice to have, it's a nice thing to do, it's, you know, it's fluffy but the impacts for people can be fairly significant. So I'm quite open about sharing some of those stories because I do think it helps us to kind of really understand from the other side of the desk, what it can feel like to not be included and mm. to sometimes be discriminated against. So that is one of the things that kind of drives me and encourages me to kind of do what I can to help make diversity and particularly inclusion practical. And you mentioned my LinkedIn tips. Mm. Um, and that is something that, you know, I try to do weekly, share simple things, simple actions people can take, because I think 
people want to be more inclusive but they really don't know how to do it yeah um, so and guys don't that. worry I will link um Stephanie's LinkedIn in the show notes so you can go and check out her tips they're just so simple I just love them so I suppose yeah like that must have been really really difficult and you know I'm even thinking back to my own time in people management and people on my team who you know had kind of disabilities and I'm, I'm kind of reflecting now as you're speaking going yeah I supported them but could I have done more you know, I probably could have done more. And I think the reason that I didn't was because we don't talk about these things enough. I mean, yeah. just hearing your challenge of needing to have the bottle of Coke and make adjustments in your day. I think some people are afraid to even say that they need something, you know. So yeah. what would you say to people who, you know, and it doesn't even have to be as, as um, I suppose, as extreme as, as, as a, you know, a health condition. It can be anything from you know, you're grieving or you've, you know, you've had yeah. a pregnancy loss or something that's affecting you mentally, isn't it? Like, what would you say to yeah. people around kind of around that piece? So um, I think I think it's a great example. You know, I think I would talk to I would talk to people who are people managers with, with this comment. I would say, you know, ask the question. I think people are nervous about asking, you know, mm. how can I help? And they, they feel like they're prying. I think there's a way you can do that that's quite simple and isn't prying, but just saying, look, I'm aware that you've had a loss, that, you know, you have a condition, whatever it might be. What can I do to support you? You know, how is it impacting you at work? Are you open to having a conversation about it? And you can do it in a very soft way that people have the opportunity to say, I actually don't want to talk about that. That's fine. And that's OK. But, you know, I almost guarantee you that if you ask that question of somebody, they will say, yes, I'd love to talk about that. And yes, there are things that you can do to help. And even yeah. just to be asked that question is so meaningful yeah. of like somebody taking the time to kind of acknowledge that your experience of work might you know, be different and you might need some help in the moment. So mm. I would say ask the question. It's much better to, to be the person asking than to be the person who has to ask. Because mm. like if, if you have to ask as the person with the disability or the person who's had the loss, um, I think that just puts a little bit of extra work back on you. And if you're having a difficult time, you'd really appreciate someone just, you know, asking you the question instead of you having to put your hand up. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I'm just wondering your your um, your take on, I suppose, leaders in terms of being vulnerable. So the reason I'm saying that is because if you're a leader and you have um, a team, a team member who, you know, was going through something. Um, it puts you in a vulnerable position as the leader to have to have a vulnerable conversation with somebody else. And many leaders are not comfortable being vulnerable because they feel like they have to be strong all of the time. Whereas I really believe actually the connection and everything is is around vulnerability. And, you know, Brene Brown's work is all around, you know, vulnerability and it's it's all strength. It's all courage. courage it, it goes hand in hand. Right. So what would you say to those leaders? Like, what would be your tips to those leaders who find it really hard to have vulnerable conversations, but who know that it's kind of necessary to support their team and for to have like a more inclusive environment. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to kind of psychological safety, you know, how much are you open and willing to share? I think the important thing is for you to know your, for yourself before you get into the conversation, what am I willing to share in this conversation? So to reflect beforehand, and that will depend on the individual, right? It's going to depend on the circumstance. What is it that you, you, you want to share and you feel comfortable and you trust the person to share? But I think if you as a leader can do that and show trust by sharing a little bit of yourself and you can decide how much or how little of that, I think people do really respond to that because, you know, as a leader, you're a role model. And if you can show a little bit of vulnerability, they can show that. And there's safer ways to do that. You know, you don't always have to go into a lot of detail. You know, I've had team members in the past who've had 
mental health conditions, etc. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to share a huge amounts of your own kind of experience, but to say, like, I've had hard times, or I recognize that without kind of putting labels on things. And that can be a way to do it without feeling like I'm exposing myself too much. Um, and to do it privately, obviously, I think one-to-one conversations are obviously the ideal way to have some of those, those chats. You don't always have to share as much as you think. I think even just to indicate to somebody, like, I, I understand, I get what you're going through. I can recognize something common there. I think that's enough for most people um, to open up and share their own experiences. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I really couldn't agree more with you about sharing your own experiences, because when you were saying that, um, I've actually never shared this on this podcast before, but when I was starting out my career, I was like in my 20s and I suffered really badly with my own mental health, like really badly with depression Um, so much so that I was calling in sick because I, I couldn't I, I physically couldn't go into work Um, I just couldn't. And I remember my boss, you know, they obviously had to kind of call me in after a while of ringing and sick for different things. Mm-hmm. But nobody kind of nobody put it together. Like, why? Why? If somebody's ringing in sick, guys, there's something wrong. Right. So this my boss, he was a man, actually. And um, he was lovely. And he called me in and I was so nervous about going into the, for this back to work interview. And he asked me instead of saying, you know, you know, making assumptions, he just asked me, like he said, look, first of all, you know, I told him what was going on. I just told him I was I had to say it. And the first thing he said to me is, you know, I've been there. I I know how you feel. He told me his story and I'm getting emotional thinking about it because, sorry, it meant so much to me just to have somebody. I've never cried like this before, but it meant so much to have somebody to actually acknowledge that it's okay to feel how you're feeling. So I just think it's, yeah, it's really, really important. And now I'm getting upset because you see, I'm reliving that emotion from that time. It meant so much. And I can see that, Lucy, and when I was sharing my story earlier, even though 20 years ago I had that interview and the person said, we don't want someone with problems here, I still hear myself getting emotional about it. And I think that really shows you, you know, reminds us that we're all humans and that, you know, even if something happens in a workplace, we're all impacted by it and we can be impacted by it for a long time. And in your example, it's a great one of positivity of somebody being a person in the moment and I think if we can sometimes in those conversations we tend to be I'm the boss you're the employee and those labels are kind of so front of mind for us if we can just put them aside for a moment and just be you know I'm Lucy I'm Stephanie and you're you know who, you know whoever it is across the table you know it isn't about our relationship the hierarchy it's about us as people absolutely and connection there and empathy I think that's the key to it really of you know yeah. how do you help people it's just empathy as a starter yeah, absolutely. Keeping it human is so impossible and our soul is so impossible is <laughs> it, where it's at. But like, it's so funny. Like, I have I, no shame, by the way, that I cried because that's me. And I think that's something that's really important as well. I think sometimes, you know, some of the women that I work with in leadership roles, one of the things that comes up kind of side note is um, controlling their emotions. And yeah. some women get very frustrated and they can't control some women like me kind of find the tears come. But I've, I've learned through the years, you know what? It's okay to cry. Nobody's died. I've owned it. It was actually a nice moment for me to remember that. And I would cry because it was actually happy tears. I'm not going to talk about it again because I'd probably <laughs> cry again. But I think it's really important, you know, to just own your emotions as well as a leader. If you, you know, you don't have to be this robot. And um, I think it's so important to be real, isn't it? Absolutely. And like you'll hear that phrase around DNI, around bringing your whole self to work. And I think that includes your emotions, right? We're not robots. You know, we have emotions. We have positive negative you know and everything in between um and don't worry you're in very good company I'm a big crier myself I've had (laughs) many tears and many you know work toilets 
over the years um, and I've kind of learned I think like yourself to just say look it is what it is I'm not going to fight it and if I need to shed a tear or two I'm going to do that I'm a person absolutely be- absolutely like I remember I used to go into my boss and I oh, I had such a good relationship with him but I'd go in and my husband is the same actually he'd be like oh here come the tears again and I just go okay I can't help it and my husband used to say to me he'd be like you're putting this on now these crocodile tears trying to you know we were having an argument and I was like I'm not but I used to go into my boss and um I'd feel it coming and I'd go yeah. oh shit so I'd say to him look I think I'm gonna cry now and he'd go okay I said just mm-hmm. give me a minute and then I'd laugh about it afterwards and I think it kind of takes the um the pressure or like the second guessing after yourself oh my god what did I do that for I'm so stupid and all this it's just I just think it's about kind of owning it and having as a leader I think it's okay as well sometimes as well um so we digressed so I suppose we were talking like that's been like so useful and I hope that the stories that we're sharing I know that some of my listeners are going to see themselves in in the stories that we're sharing so in terms of diversity inclusion like they're quite fuzzy corporate words right and I think some people hear this like you know DNI and it's this kind of corporate waffle whereas really it bring, if you were to strip it back and kind of demystify DNI and bring it back to the human level what is it? Absolutely. There's a million buzzwords around DNI. You'll hear all kinds of words, equity, equality, justice, there's loads of buzzwords. But fundamentally, it's about diversity, it's about difference, it's about having a workplace where you see people around you who kind of reflect society, you know, and that you see people of all different kinds of, you know, races, ethnicities, gender, age, etc. So there's just that multiplicity and variety. And I like variety actually a little bit more than diversity, because I think variety is kind of a nicer connotation mm. at least in my mind um, and then inclusion is really about okay so if you make your organization more diverse you know how do you ensure that people who come in aren't kind of put in the corner and not included right so how are they treated do they have opportunities are their voices heard you know do they have the opportunity to progress to do you know education and and to be developed and that they're, they're treated in a way that's no different from anybody else so that's mm. kind of fundamentally you know diversity and inclusion is have have variety in your organization and ensure that people you know get you know opportunities and what you'll often see in organizations we see is diversity happens kind of down at the bottom levels so the kind of entry level you know you might see more diversity in certain parts of a company like in customer service you'll probably see more women it is probably more male um but as you go further up the organization you'll see that sort of peters out and when you get to the very top of many organizations the people who are at those levels are very similar and that's really a sign that the inclusion maybe isn't there because people aren't getting up through the levels. Mm, mm, no, absolutely. And I suppose I just want to ask you then on inclusion, right? Um, my loyalties, I suppose, always lie with the, the employees, right? So the women I work with, I care about them. However, I do have to kind of side with the corporations a little bit in the sense that I see corporations and you do too, obviously, pumping millions and millions into this this whole diversity and inclusion initiatives. They hire people, you know, just like you to try and do it. But unless the the, the team, unless the, the employees actually embrace it, and in terms of being included, well, actually, you have to be open to being included. And I think sometimes we put too much pressure on organizations and people in your roles to wave a magic wand and fix things. But if employees don't actually embrace what you're trying to do, you're never going to have that inclusive environment. So what would you say to that? I think that's, I think that's absolutely true. I think it's a partnership, right? The, the leaders, the organization need to do some things around like processes and systems, right? And leadership. So they definitely have a big role to play. But absolutely, if people don't embrace it, because inclusion fundamentally is everyday behaviors, right? Yeah. It's how do we treat each other 
you know, how do we interact? What kind of things do we do we say and do uh, with our colleagues and teammates? So absolutely. I think the great thing about that actually is that we all have power, right? If you think about it like that, you know, if you're an employee, you have you have in your you know, your means or you can be inclusive, right? You don't have to wait for your organization to do it. There's things that you can do every day with your teammates. You know, really, really simple things like learning to pronounce people's names correctly. Like just really basic stuff, the kind of thing that I post about, you know, every week, just easy things. And I think that's quite empowering for people to know that, you know, whether your organization is doing a great job on DNI or maybe not so far ahead, you can you can definitely do some things just yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings me on to my next question what would be your top like three to five tips that people can kind of take away today and implement quickly to make their teams and environments a little bit more inclusive and inclusive and diverse, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so I'm going to focus a little bit on probably more the inclusion side of things because I want them to be kind of things everybody can do. Right. So the first thing I would say is try to think of diversity broadly. I do think we, we tend to think about gender. That's the kind of the first thing we go to maybe race and ethnicity, maybe you know, sexual orientation, um, but diversity is really broad. And there's lots of different, you know, groups in there that we don't always think about so kind of frequently. So I'll give you a good example from a post I did a little while ago, and it completely knocked me back how popular this post was, by the way. I wrote about single people at work and how they're kind of a group that we don't often think about because I think we have this like stereotype of you're in your 30s, you're probably married with kids. Um, but there's lots of people in organizations now who are in their 30s, 40s and beyond who are not in relationships or they may be in relationships and don't have kids. Like I'm in that group myself um, and they do get forgotten about a little bit. So I think the first thing is just to, you know, be aware that there's, you know, lots of different people who are under that umbrella of diversity. It means lots of different things. Um, then I would say, you know, understanding that people have different kind of starting points in their day to day. So. I did a post a while ago, which was my most popular post ever and also knocked me back a little bit by how popular it was. And it was around, I suppose, understanding that, you know, when we get to 9 a.m., right, the starting point of our day, like lots of people have already been through quite a lot before they get to work. So, you know, I was talking about it from the point of view of diabetes, but equally it could be somebody who's a, you know, a parent or a caregiver. You know, they have to do the, get the kids up, get them out, get them to school. You know, it could be somebody who's got a physical disability who might have to kind of navigate some challenges in the built environment. It could be somebody who's, a, you know, a person of colour who's navigating maybe racism in their day-to-day -day kind of experiences. So I think it's just back to empathy of understanding that people around you may have had all these experiences before they even get to the office and just to appreciate that as a result of that you know they could be in a bad mood they could have low energy and to just be kind of you know aware and empathetic and supportive of people around you who you know are different and can um, I ask just on that one like how would you suggest like people do that well I think if you if you know somebody around you in your team for example you know you know has a mental health condition or you know is a parent I think it's really if you can and you're open to doing it ask them like what is it like for you at work what is your experience of work you know how could I support you most people are quite open to having those conversations and you learn a lot and it'll help you to understand okay you know I didn't realize that about that person so the next time I organize a meeting I'm not going to organize it for before 9 a.m for example which is like a pet peeve of mine of the pre-9 a.m meetings really hard for lots of people for loads of different reasons and it'll just help you once you have that awareness to just be more inclusive in your kind of behaviors and practices yeah okay um, cool and then the last one is around office housework, which really resonated with my female connections. And this one was really popular. And I had a lot of people say it to me, kind of come up to me afterwards and say, you know, thank you for sharing that. Um, and when I say office housework, it's kind of it's all the activity that happens in a team that really kind of keeps things running fairly smoothly. Um, but is 
usually not really that well recognized. So it's things like setting up team meetings, organizing team events, meeting minutes, being on committees, health and safety warden, all those kinds of things that we tend to see women doing disproportionately. Um, so the tip here really is around if you're allocating that work, like to be really mindful of that. And, you know, rather than asking for volunteers, because anecdotally, I would say women are very inclined to put their hand up and try to do the right thing. Um, but, you know, if, you're, if you have that work to give out, just allocate it, be conscious, give it to, you know, a mix of men and women um, and at different levels as well. And not to kind of keep drawing on the same people, because you do tend to find that the same people kind of end up doing these kinds of activities yeah. regularly. And I guess to value it, right? Because, you know, that activity, if we didn't happen, you know, things would grind a little bit to a halt. Yeah. And I think it really, it really helps make the workplace a better place to be. So, you know, if it is going to happen, then let's make sure that it's acknowledged and people are recognizing it's valued. Uh, absolutely. I, I really couldn't agree more. And when you were saying that, I was thinking about um, years ago, um, I had started a new company and there was a particular woman who was like a, an executive assistant or something. And she was responsible for giving me my login details or something. And I asked um, the, my buddy who was kind of bringing me in through the company. I said, you know, what does she do? And um, she said, oh, she's just kind of like a glorified secretary. And I remember in that moment kind of going, oh, that was nasty. And I think sometimes these administrative roles in particular, like the ones you've mm -hmm. mentioned, like I've had to learn in my business, as my sister said to me, like I have to do all the work now before I hired a team. When I started out, all of a sudden, you know, you go from leadership when you're, you know, you're setting the vision, you're doing the direction, you have a whole team to do the work for you. And then when I kind of started my business, I had to do everything myself to set appointments, to do all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I learned pretty quick how hard that job is. Oh, my God. There is so yeah. much in administration. So, like, seriously, anyone who's listening today, if you know somebody who works, who's your executive assistant or who works in your department, please thank them because it is hard. It's so hard to organize calendars and all those things. So I think you're so right. It's such a thankless role. But trust me, ladies, you try to do that for a week and you will be running back to your leadership job, let me tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a little bit like payroll, Lucy. If it's all working well, it's kind of invisible. But when it's not working, it's suddenly very, very, you know, front of mind, you know. So, yeah, I think that I think those roles are often quite lowly paid as well. So definitely much, you know, they definitely deserve as much thanks as we can give them. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so this has been amazing, Stephanie, like you've given us so much gold today. So just to kind of finish up, I always ask my guests and um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever received? It doesn't have to be DNI related, just the best piece of advice you've ever received. It's a great question, Lucy. And I it, and one thing definitely came to mind straight away, which is when I started consulting about eight and a half years ago, my boss sat me down and sort of said to me, OK, I'd come from industry and she said, right, Consulting is a little bit different. And I think this is general advice. I think it applies to everybody. She was saying, you know, on a given day, the odds are you're, you're not going to have highs and lows. You know, you need to be able to take the highs and you get them and recognize them for what they are and appreciate and enjoy them. And when you're having a low, just to understand as well that there will be further highs, right? It's a roller coaster and your ability to kind of go through that and not be too impacted by the lows and also to just really appreciate the highs just make sure that you're enjoying the job as, mu as much as you can so that definitely has helped me over the years to just keep my perspective of like this will pass if it's a tough time and when it's a good time to be like great I'm having a high right now let's let's enjoy that and celebrate it and recognize it oh I love that absolutely I could not agree more and what about a piece of advice that you love to give to people that's a <laughs> that's a really tricky question I think it's really just to be open to things um I think 
oftentimes we're probably the the worst people at judging whether we're going to be good at something or whether we're going to enjoy something um I think in my job I'm very lucky because I'm often thrust into things and they may not be things I put my hand up for um but I've been really surprised over the years by the things that I've enjoyed and by and large been able to deliver against everything that's been kind of given to me so be open and just embrace things you know you really don't know and oftentimes even after you've done something it takes a while to realize the benefits mm-hmm. but you know, guaranteed any difficult time that you have at some point you'll be thinking back on it and be grateful for it and you'll have learned something and um, so yeah embrace as much as you can oh my god I absolutely love that and Stephanie where can people find you to see all your lovely um tips that you share so you find me on LinkedIn Um, come there, come connect with me, follow me on LinkedIn. I post tips on uh, usually on a Tuesday. So usually at 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, I'm sitting at my breakfast table trying to think of tips for the week. Um, so I do post every week and there's um, I think I'm on week 42, 43, something like that. So you can go back to my back catalog if you see things of interest. You'll, you'll find that on my profile. Oh my God, you'll have to write a book. You will have to write a book. <laughs> Listen, Stephanie, thank you so, so much for your time. Um, it's been so insightful um, talking to you. And yeah, I really am so grateful to have you on. And I will talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks so much, Lucy.